listening to The Currency. Welcome. I'm Mike Gaston. I am your host. Thanks for joining me. This is episode number 107. The date is November 28th. It's a Sunday evening as I record this. Glad to be here behind the microphone. Glad you're listening. Thank you so much. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. We had a lovely time. I have to admit it was a little sad. This was, I think, our first Thanksgiving uh, in many years. You know, Lydia and I got married in... May. So we did have a Thanksgiving without our children, uh, at least the first year that we were married. But this is our first Thanksgiving where our children, our adult children are not with us. Our daughter, our youngest, took a job in Pennsylvania. Our middle son and daughter-in-law live in Germany where they're working on their graduate degrees. And my eldest boy is down in Miami working. Now we saw our daughter and our son, our eldest, not too long ago. And when they were visiting, they said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're probably going to skip Thanksgiving because it's not that far off and then come and visit for Christmas. Of course, my son and daughter-in-law in Germany, a little bit of a hike to get in just for a little bit of turkey and mashed. But it was still a lovely day and it was surprising. We invited some folks over, a young couple, young married couple with a baby, a couple single guys. Uh, had them over. It was just a great time to hang out with some folks, put some food on the table and Lydia and I did a great job together. I have to say, I have to pat us on the back, but I feel like we did a great job. We uh, first Thanksgiving in the new house down here in South Carolina, and uh, we worked well as a team. Uh, I've been taken to this concept of spatchcocking a turkey. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but to spatchcock a turkey, essentially what you do is you cut out the turkey's spine and then you flatten it out. You lay it, you kind of open it up. It's kind of a little graphic. And you flatten it out. You break the breastbone so that it lays flat. And then once it's spatchcocked, you have multiple options on cooking it. But by getting rid of that cavity that you usually would put stuffing in, it cooks much faster, much more reasonably, and it's easier to control. So what Lydia will do is she'll dry brine the turkey, and uh, which means that a few days ahead she'll rub it in salt. So the whole thing will be rubbed down in salt. It will be in the refrigerator. And then day of cooking, I'll spatchcock. Uh, flatten it out. And then what we've often done is grilled it. Now, typically my middle boy, Zach, he and his wife will kind of oversee the grilling of the turkey. They've always done a phenomenal job. Uh, and it's a little tricky. And, and he found out, I mean, it's a little tricky because if the turkey's fatty, you typically cook it on a low heat. You know, you might leave it there for a few minutes, go do something, come back. And if the fat's dripping, you know, you can have a grease fire in your grill. Uh, so it's a little tricky, but we spatchcocked this turkey, threw it on the grill. Lydia bought a new grill while I was out traveling on client work. She did a great job, found a great deal, great grill. And this thing came out phenomenal, nice and juicy, tender. Uh, it took about uh, just under two hours to cook. Had it on a low heat while we did a bunch of other things like clean the house and get ready for folks to come over. So that was kind of fun to, to process Thanksgiving, the two of us in the new home together. A little sad, honestly, not to have our kids with us, but that said, it was still a lovely day and the people that came over were wonderful people. It was just nice to spend time with them. So we uh, we had a nice time and I hope, all that to say, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving as well. So much has happened for me and, and Lydia and our family over this year. You know, I've got so much to be thankful for. I have to be honest, I kind of feel like... Um, my head's spinning a little bit. It's almost hard to, I mean, I can easily list off all the stuff. I mean, I'll miss a lot, but I can list off a ton of things that 
I'm grateful for this year. And there've been some hard things, uh, but even with those hardships, we've gotten through those really well. And, you know, we're on the other side of it, but, but because so much has happened, even though I can list them off, even though I could write them down on paper, I, it's, it's, it hasn't sunk in yet the reality of it all. I mean, sometimes I'm walking our dog and, you know, we're almost a thousand miles uh, from our home in New York. We're like 900 plus miles from where we'd been living for two decades, where I grew up. And, you know, just walking your dog on the streets in the evening and the, everything's different. I mean, the sights, the smells, the bird song, the, the plants, the trees, the architecture, the lay of the land, uh, everything, everything is different. And it's a little surreal at times because I'm just in the middle of this living. We did this big move. It, it, it changed so much of our lives. And at the same time, there's a, there's a, a banal aspect to living. You know, the day-to-day life is boring. Even when you've moved somewhere, there's just the, the day-to-day stuff that you do, like walking your dog and paying your bills and all that stuff. So uh, this is just weird juxtaposition of the, everything being new, of, of so much having had happened this year, some good, some bad, and life being completely changed. And at the same time, we're just living. It's like we just picked up and kept going and we're living. And I just don't think it's all sunk in. So that's a bit of a bit of a soliloquy there, but um, I hope that you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I, I can humbly say I've got so much to be thankful for. And I, and I, and I hope that you do too. I hope you had a nice time with friends and family. Uh, and even if you couldn't be with friends and family, I hope it was a day that brought you some peace and uh, you had some time to reflect. And if you haven't had time to reflect, it's still not too late. It doesn't have to just happen on a given day. Thanksgiving's a nice day to come together and, and eat food and be thankful together. But uh, quite frankly, it's very healthy and helpful to be thankful on a regular basis. And I just as a side note here, as, as I wrap up this kind of little opening monologue, I, I uh, and by the way, the whole podcast is a monologue. So it's an opening monologue and then we're going to have our, our main monologue and then a closing monologue. But, but one thing that's been striking to me as I've looked at other people and how they've lived their lives, the, a lot of people that have terrible things in their lives, maybe they've lost a spouse uh, prematurely, uh, they've died, maybe they had terrible financial hardships, maybe health or sickness, or just, you know, you name it, like there are people that go through terrible things. And, and not just one thing, like some people have a lot of bad things happen. And yet I've noticed some of these people, some struggle and are bitter and angry, some of them are still joyful. Some of them are still positive. They're not, you know, bouncing off the walls. I mean, you take some blows like that. You you walk with a limp. That doesn't go away. But they have peace. They have joy. And I've wondered, I've often looked at them to say, well, what is it that's different about them? And then I would compare, you know, someone else who seemingly has so much going well for them uh, materially and, you know, health-wise and so on, and, and they're bitter and angry and and uh, resentful and unhappy. And I've just wondered, like, what makes the difference? And, and one key thing is this ability to be thankful. There's just some people seem to have an ability to be grateful for what they do have. They've even learned to be grateful for some of their hardships, which, which defies you know, modern logic, but, but there it is. I mean, people find ways to be grateful. 
And I've, so I've found for myself, uh, especially if I'm down or if I'm angry or frustrated, things aren't going well, or I'm discouraged, which, you know, that happens to me from time to time. I tend to be a very optimistic person, by the way, I can take a beating and I get in a mood, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not chipper. Uh, I can get irritated and angry and frustrated, but I go to bed and I pop up the next day and I'm ready for some reason. There's something about my psychology where I'm just ready to go and I'm positive. And even though I took a beating, we're going to just get back at it again. So I, I, you know, fortunately through life, I've been able to withstand discouragement and frustrations and even a little bit of um, abuse, excuse me. But the people that are thankful, they find ways to be thankful, seem to be happier. And so I've tried to take a lesson uh, from that or take a chapter from their lesson book. And when I get discouraged and when I get down or I get frustrated, even though I pop up the next day ready to tackle things, if things aren't going my way, I'll take a few minutes and just list things off. Like, what am I grateful for? Just think about it for a minute. And I would encourage you, if you're having a hard time, this, this is not the power of positive thinking. And this isn't to say that you should pretend that everything's great. I mean, you might have some really difficult situations. This isn't ignoring those, but if you take a moment and just say, okay, these are real, let me just park these for a minute. What am I thankful for? They could be basic things. Like it could be something silly as much as like, I'm grateful I've got 50 bucks in my bank account. You know, like it could be zero. I mean, I know that sounds like you're trying to you know, just spin it. And and maybe that's a silly example, but I take some time. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my wife. You know, I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful that I'm able to do good work. Uh, It it, it could just be something very simple, but if I take a little bit of time and it doesn't always have to be something in the present, I might look over the last six months, like what's been good last couple of years. What am I grateful for? Because sometimes, you know, you're so focused on the now now might not be great, but maybe if you look at it from the lens of the last five years, you know, there's some great things have happened over that stretch of time. So, you know, as you're, as you're coming out of the Thanksgiving holiday, but we're going into Christmas and the new year, you know, as we're hearing things in the news, maybe you've got some bad news. Maybe you've had trouble with finances or your job. Take some time. Just think about it. And I know there are people who are like, that's foolish and that's just, you know, to keep you docile. You need to get out there and fight and revolt. And look, th- those things don't have to go away. But, but you know, if you're going to be a warrior, you're going to go out there and, and fight for truth and justice and, and a better society, at least be a happy warrior, at least be a joyful warrior. And there's people out there that are just miserable. You know, the, the, uh, Louis C.K., uh, the, the disgraced comedian, uh, had a great bit. And he, he, the bit was, you know, everything's so amazing and everybody's so angry. And he just was going on about the amazing technologies at our fingertips, the things that we didn't even know existed yesterday, exist today. Like, you know, you're on an airplane and they've got Wi-Fi. I think that was the bit, you know, and he's like, I didn't even know you could get Wi-Fi in an airplane. Nobody did. They make this big announcement. Hey, we got something new. And then they're flying. And then the Wi-Fi has a hiccup and the guy next to him is like furious. You know, he's like ranting and raving that the stupid Wi-Fi doesn't work. And Louis bit was like, you're in a chair 30,000 feet in the air. And you didn't even know 10 minutes ago that this existed. And now you're outraged that, that, that it's not working properly. He goes, what's wrong with us? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, take a few minutes if, if it is something you struggle with. And, And I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not trying to preach anybody. Look, I, my assumption is everybody's happy, but I know life can be tough. And sometimes the, the negative stimuli, you know, I think I say sometimes the negative stimuli by design overshadows the positive. You know, it's just a 
psychological fact. You, you could have, you know, I could do nice things for you day in and day out. I could do it for a year. I could just be kind and nice and considerate. And you're like, wow, that Mike's a great guy. But man, if I screw you over once, all it takes is one time. I could be nice to you a hundred times over the year. Maybe we work in the office together, but I do you dirty once, or I do something mean once, or I'm, I'm critical or hostile or whatever that is. You don't remember as easily the hundred kind things, nice things, supportive things that I did. You remember, we all do this. It's just you, we, me, I, we remember that negative thing, that negative stimuli. And that, and that's a, you know, that's designed into us. It's a bit of survival. If you didn't remember that the, that the fire is hot, <laughs> if that didn't stand out to you, uh, you know, you, you, you'd suffer a lot of injury, possibly die. So that's designed in that we focus on negative stimuli, but that can also hurt us in certain ways because we get so focused on what we're upset about. And sometimes we have to recontextualize that, like put that thing in context. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, this thing at work isn't going your way, but like, look at your life in general. Do you have, do you have a, someone that loves you? Do you have a nice warm bed to sleep in every night? You know, are you, do you get to enjoy yourself watching things like Netflix and, and playing online games or whatever it is you do that you like? And I, I'm not advising on those things. I'm just saying, you know, we're pretty, pretty miserable about, about the world we live in. Now, all that to say, uh, this isn't a, a way to sedate ourselves to the reality that we live in. We have some real problems in this world. If you listen to my podcast, you know about them. And that kind of brings me to what I want to talk about today. I say this sometimes and I don't deliver on it. But I do think this is going to be a quick uh, podcast. You know, often I'm doing these bits where I'm, I'm taking a news story and then I'm kind of talking about it. I'm riffing on it, maybe ranting a little bit. I'm deconstructing it maybe a little bit and uh, giving you my perspective on it. And, and what I've done by that is there's a few reasons. I, I've been convinced that we often don't have good lenses to, with which to view and understand the world that we are a part of and the world that we are observing. Now, we're not these objective observers. We're subjective. We're part of this world. But I think often we are, we, I don't want to say we inherit lenses, inherit them, uh, meaning they're given to us and so we receive them. But we, we're, they're kind of, I hate to even use the word imparted, but but these lenses are constructed for us, whether we're aware of it or not. And when I say lens, what I mean is when you're looking at a situation, it's very hard for a human being to look at a situation objectively, to just see it for what it is with no emotion, no feelings about it, no thoughts about it, no opinions. You're just seeing the data points, the facts. I don't know that that's a possible thing. Now, the, now the rationalists, the, the, the children of the enlightenment, the, the people who love science and materialism and naturalism, you know, we're going to understand the world and we're, we can capture it and grasp it and we can break it down into its constituent parts and control it and build it for whatever we want it to be. Like, you know, the people that are just so crazy about science, we've talked about science before. You know, they might argue that, well, you can be objective. There are ways to be objective. And and I I question that. Now, on the other side, you get the irrationalists, the anti-rationalists, uh, you, you know, the, the, the folks that end up being, you know, when you go kind of the, the stream of thinking of, of intellectual history, become the postmoderns. And the postmodernists, their argument is, well, anything that you look at, 
can't be true because you're looking at it through your eyes. And so it's all subjective. So that's your truth. I may look at the same thing and see it differently. And that's my truth. And we can't really know what's truth. And, and I don't agree with either position, by the way, but we'll get to that in a minute. So you kind of have these two uh, arguing, arguing sides, these two poles. And so when I talk about a lens, all I'm really saying, I'm, I'm not taking the side of the, of the anti-rationalists, the anti-realists, you know, that kind of Kantian, it, it starts with Immanuel Kant and kind of finds its way up through Hegel and uh, in, into even you know, some of the Marcuse and some of these other postmodernist thinkers. And this, you know, this is where critical race theory, it's really critical theory. The critical theory, which is applied to race, which is applied to law, which is applied to all the different institutions where they, they deconstruct everything because it's like, well, you guys believe this is true, but the fact is nothing is true. So we're going to rip this thing apart and, and refashion it in a way that uh, we see fit and create our own truth. But this all comes from this irrationalist way of thinking what I'm arguing is that there is a level of subjectivity and, and lenses can be a very powerful and good thing. You you can make your own lenses with which to see things through. It doesn't mean when you look through the lens that you think this is the perfect lens. It might be, you know, just let's, let's take it out of um, our experience in reality and trying to understand truth, <laughs> this big, deep uh, level, and just talk about things like a project or a problem at work. So, so great designers... When they're looking at a problem to solve, they're looking at it through the lens that maybe we all look at it initially. And they then say, well, let me try to reframe this problem. We're trying to solve a given problem. I'm trying to design a solution, whether it's a you know, physical item, an engineering uh, feat that they're looking after, or some type of software engineering, or, or even a visual communication design, whatever the design challenge is, they will often reframe it. It's like, well, we're trying to build uh, a faster... So we want a faster car, and and we think the problem is the engine's not big enough. If we can make a more powerful engine, then we could get a faster car. And so you kind of get hung up on a certain solution, but because you're looking through a certain lens, and that lens is power equals speed. Let's just say I'm riffing. I'm making this up as I go. This isn't pre-planned, so forgive me if this uh, illustration runs out of gas. See what I did there? And... They will try to reframe the problem. They might say, okay, well, we're trying to make the car go faster, but why? They start asking the why question. Well, you know, we're trying to uh, figure out um, how to get people quicker from point A to B. You know, and, and as they go through this and they're saying, well, we need faster cars and, and we know that we need more powerful engines to get there. They might reframe the, the challenge to say, well, actually, the issue isn't really about... Uh, more powerful engines. The issue might be that our roadway system is inefficient and the engines that we have uh, make cars that are fast enough. We don't have to change that. If we could just make the traffic situation more efficient. And so a car that's capable of doing uh, 65 miles an hour with the engine that it has, and most of our cars can do more than 65, uh, I'm here to tell you from experience that they would do fine with the power they have if they had more freedom to just stay at their top speed, uh, top legal speed, let's say. So maybe the problem when you reframe it isn't so much that it's about the power of the engine, but it's the efficiency of driving on a road. 
Now, these road issues could be multiple things. It could be traffic. It could be the quality of the road. It could be how uh, efficient the road gets from point A to B. I mean, you could be all kinds of stuff. That's just one way. I mean, another way is like, well, why do we need cars and roads? Is there another way to transport human beings? And now we're going to get into sci-fi. But the point being, good designers are, are savvy about reframing a problem. And they do that. The way that they reframe is they'll look through different lenses to try to, to, to see the problem differently. And when you can see it differently, sometimes, sometimes you can come up with more innovative solutions. So when, when I talk about a lens, the lens can be a good thing. But I feel that uh, a lot of us uh, have inherited or have had lenses imposed upon us. That's probably a good way to say it, imposed upon us by our society, by the media, by the education system, by the values of our culture, by pop culture, by our families, uh, and so on. So there's all these r things that, that contribute or, or, you know, yeah, contribute to the lens that we end up looking at the world through. And it's not that everyone has the exact same lens. So the reason that I was, and will continue to, but the reason I was in this podcast kind of tackling news stories is because I want to, I want to challenge the lens. I want to help people develop better lenses or different lenses with which to view the world through. And that, you know, it's on one level, it's like, well, if I can do that, then you see things differently. You don't need me to tell you everything, but it helps you see things differently. This is why I'm always talking about truth on the podcast. It's like you don't just want to see things differently for the fun of it. I'm not trying to create uh, an entertaining. I want, you know, look, I want to be entertaining enough that people are like, I really like listening to this podcast. It's engaging. It's interesting. But like, if you're looking for a fun time or something wacky or just Mike is so creative, I just love his creativity. Well, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm not that creative. I mean, I'm creative on a certain level, I guess, but. I'm not creative for, for the sake of just shocking people or eliciting a feeling from them. I'm more interested in, in getting at the truth. I'm hungry for the truth. I, I, you know, I love truth and, um, and, and I'm hungry and I'm hungry for it. And I feel like we need it. Like, it's not just, I'm like that mother who believes in that good food. It's like, I, I love making good food. I believe in good, healthy food. And if I look at somebody with a problem, my goodness, it's probably because they're not eating good food. I got to feed you. I want to feed you like that. I just got this drive. I don't, be, I don't believe either that I've got a perfect grasp of the truth. I, I, I know I'm flawed. I know I've got some blind spots. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I say, I know I've got them. I, I presume that I have them. I have to have them. I'm, I'm, I'm too confident not to have them. And, uh, cause when you're really confident, that's when you're in trouble. So it's not a matter of like, let me tell you what you should believe. And that, that, so that's another thing. It's like a, a lot of what I see on say YouTube or whatever, you get these talking heads that they're just going to, you know, we're going to uh, own the libs. We're going to slam the left. And, and I, I enjoy that. But they'll just take a thing and look how stupid this one is or look how dumb they are. And I'm guilty of that, too. But like, I, I just I don't need to be entertained by mocking the other side. And quite frankly, I think things are so important and so dire right now that I, I feel like just mocking the other side for my own pleasure or for our own pleasure is is dangerous because it, it dulls us to the fight that's really at hand. And it makes us feel good, uh, maybe in ways that we shouldn't. Maybe we need to feel discomfort. Maybe we need to be upset. 
Maybe we need to feel tension and stress because that's what motivates us to make a change. And I think sometimes as content, and, and I'm not going to, look, I'm, this isn't me taking pot shots, but sometimes I watch like a, a Ben Shapiro. Uh, I love Tucker Carlson, but same thing. I mean, not, t- Tucker's maybe not as guilty of it, but I watch some of these conservative right-wing, you know, talking heads. They're, they're very successful. These people are very intelligent. I mean, Ben Shapiro, you know, Ben Shapiro, I get to talk some mile a minute, but, 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 and, and I'm not like anti-Ben. And there's some things I don't agree with. And it's like, you know, he'll talk about how independent thinking he is and everything. And yet he jumps on the vax, like, you know, it's like, okay, Ben, well, I just feel like you're not being intellectually consistent, but you know, whatever, who am I? I will give him credit. He's not out there forcing everybody. He's just saying, you know, he doesn't like the government telling everybody what to do, but he, he always tells you in the next breath, but he got it. His wife got it. All his staff have it. You know, it's like, got to get that vax. Yeah, I'm an anti-vaxxer, I guess. Who would, who knew? I mean, I would have never guessed that I would have been an anti-vaxxer, but here I am. So anyway, uh, that's not a statement. I'm not taking a political position on that, by the way. It's just a comment of the current uh, the current situation. So I've tackled these stories as a way to start sharing a lens, not explicitly like here's what you have to ask yourself about this. Remember, folks, it's ABC. Let's go through process. I'm not trying to teach process. I'm not trying to, you know, instruct anything. I'm trying to impart, I guess, a way of thinking about things, a way of looking at things. And so when you have a news story, a current event, it provides a handy uh, a handy canvas, you know, f- with which to, to paint the picture on. Otherwise you just come into this more like uh, didactic instruction teacher in front of the room, just going to sit and tell you, okay, you, you know, if you, hopefully you read yesterday's lesson. Now here are the three major key points about the civil war uh, from the perspective of the North. Number one, you know, like I'm just going to write this down, you know, and here's your date and here's your famous person. This isn't about instruction, but when you take something, you go, hey, look, let's talk about this thing. Let's unpack it. Here's some thoughts I have on it. Here's one of the reasons I'm concerned about this. Here's what you should consider about this. Hey, I hope this is useful to you. I hope this helped you understand the situation. You know, by doing that, I, I haven't had an agenda, but by doing that, part of my hope has been that I'm helping people, uh, you, my audience, um, see the world through a lens that is useful to you in, in obtaining the truth, ascert, ascertaining to the truth. Is that, is that the right way to use ascertaining? Uh, a way for you to, to get to the truth without me just saying, look, here's what you need to believe. And, um, and I don't have a problem with that. There's a place for that. I, you know, this isn't one of the things I've had uh, an issue with, one of many with the whole postmodernist way of thinking is like, well, because everybody has their own subjective truth, you know, let's have fewer answers and more questions. We need questions and, and God forbid anybody ever answer a question. You know, this had, this is really big in the, in the Christian church. And there was this emergent church movement, which is kind of a quasi mix of almost new age, more Gnosticism, but ha- heavily infused with postmodernism. Like, you know, who am I to judge? 
uh, we can't really know and, and your truth and I can't know your experience. So I don't want to lay anything heavy on you. And so these churches, these pastors, it's like, I just want to live in the question. You know, we just need to be in community and, and be comfortable with the, the tension and the pain and the question. It's like, look, I get it. Not everything has an answer. There are things in this life that are a mystery. I'm good with that. I, I wish people would get better with the mystery of God. You know, people are like, well, you know, I, I'm a Calvinist and, you, you know, they got the systematic theology. And I, I like theology and I like systems. I like doctrine. I love all that stuff. I like orthodoxy, uh, small O and big O. I respect the, the Orthodox Church. But, but I, I, on the other hand, when you get so systematic, when you're trying to kind of science the Bible, I don't mean, I mean, yeah, there's a science of Bible, meaning like we're going to carbon date uh, archaeological finds of dinosaur bones and then match that against scripture reference to the flood. And okay, that's, that's an interesting exercise, but I mean, create a systematic scientific uh, approach to understanding theology in the Bible. You're trying to eradicate all mystery at that point. And there are just some things that are a mystery. You know, there's an arrogance um, that comes with the enlightenment and with materialism, and that is that the human mind can grasp all things. Given enough time, we can understand everything. We can crack every code, discover every mystery, and we can know everything, and we can, and we can solve every problem given enough time. Now, it might not happen in my lifetime or your lifetime, but mankind continually will just will expand and grow and, and through science and the power of science, you know, discover everything and, and create a perfect world. So we're trying to discover the mystery of the atom. Uh, you know, th that's kind of like a recent past thing. Like we want to harness the power of the atom. You don't hear as much about that anymore. But now it's all about, you know, we want to harness the power of the mind. We want to create uh, artificial intelligence and consciousness. You know, we want to create machines that have consciousness and so on. This is this arrogance, this hubris of the human that says, you know, there shall be no mystery. I'm comfortable with mystery, and I think we should be as a society. This is kind of the lie of the, of the enlightenment, that, that this rationalism, uh, that we can know everything. We can't necessarily. And not everything is knowable through a materialist uh, perspective lens. And, and using materialist, meaning physical hardware, our brains and, and minds, uh, to grasp things. I mean, some things have to be experienced or understood on a more uh, tr um, trans <laughs> transcendental, uh, a, a more uh, transcendent level. Thank you. I don't know who I'm saying thank you to, but uh, I, I couldn't get that word, transcendent level. Some things about God have to either be trusted in faith or experienced or known in, in your deeper being without intellectually being able to scrabble it out on a sheet of paper. There are some things about God that can't be, that can't be graphed, but at the same time can be known. You know, think of your relationship with another human being, especially if it's an intimate one. There are things about you, you can know that person without completely understanding intellectually, scientifically, everything about that person. You don't need to deconstruct them. You don't need to understand the molecules and the nerve endings. You don't have to have this reductionist uh, view of that person to know them on a deeper, more intimate level. You can know someone in a way that no one else does. You can share something powerful, deep, and mysterious I mean, if the love between a man and a woman in a marriage or, you know, or even uh, when you're not married, young love, the, the excitement of, 
the prospect of being joined together and all those things that, that go along with the human experience. I mean, there's something powerful there that, yeah, you can reduce it and say, well, that's a certain chemistry and those are certain nerve endings. But I think you're missing something deeper. I think you're, you're reducing this to a materialist, uh, empiricist worldview that's your lens that you choose to see it through. You're, you're decontextualizing, you're abstracting something that's mysterious and deep and powerful and beautiful. And it's something that has driven the human race for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It has sustained our race. And I don't mean driven like, well, it gets us out of bed in the morning. How about procreation? We wouldn't exist without this mysterious thing happening on a deeper level. Sure, some people are born out of uh, relationships that are devoid of that level of love, that level of intimacy that doesn't make them any less of a human being. But my point is, as a race, you think of the billions of people on this planet and you go, well, yeah, we all have the biological urge to... Uh, to to recreate, uh, to procreate, and to and to pass our genes on. You know, you could do that, but there is something. <laughs> thank you, Isabella. There is something deeper, mysterious going on. And so, all that to say, I don't have a point with. I don't have a problem with mystery. And uh, and sometimes in the church, we we run afoul of this because we're so focused on trying to, on one hand, deem desacralize, take the sacred and the mysterious out of the faith and systematize it so that you can, you can chapter and verse everything. I'm not for that. On another hand, on, on, the, on another level, we're also guilty in the emergent church of saying, well, we can't really know anything. And so I just am happy living in the question and let's not have any answers. And we'll just uh, sit around in pain together and hold one another as we lose our faith together. Because that's essentially what ends up happening. They, they become heterodox if they're lucky. I shouldn't say lucky. Uh, and even worse, a lot of them just, you know, how many, how many well-known kind of more modern, you know, these authors, thinkers, speakers have, have walked away from the faith. You know, I've lost my faith. I lost my faith. How do you lose your faith? Well, they, you know, they, they're more interested in, in sitting and pain in the questions and they didn't want to hear answers. I know some people giving answers are inconsiderate. They're heavy-handed, and here's the answer. And I don't know what your problem is. And the person's like, yeah, but you don't understand. You're being thoughtless and heartless and so on. I get that. But let's not kid ourselves to say, well, just because some people are heavy-handed or fat-fingered in the way that they minister, quote-unquote, truth to another human being, that doesn't mean that there can't be truth. And that doesn't mean that truth can't be ministered in a way that is powerful and transformative and loving and gives life. And so through this podcast, <laughs> if you're still with me, I've just been considering like, how do I elevate the quality of my work? I've been talking here a little bit about why I've been approaching news stories, but, but I've gotten to a point where I'm a little bit like, this is just getting redundant. It's like, there's the same old crap, different day. I'm being a little harsh, maybe a little judgmental. I've had some good discussions with a good friend of mine, Dave Danglis, uh, been a close friend for many, many years decades now. Holy smokes, Dave, we've known each other a long time. And he, he listens to the podcast and I was saying, I'm not happy with this. And, and I think I'm ranting and I feel like this and this, and he had some great feedback, very supportive, very positive. And I don't think you do rant. Uh, so he, he gave me some great insight, uh, into as a listener, what, what the content's like, but, but I do feel there's a, there's a bit of redundancy. There's a bit of uh, almost laziness. And the one good thing that Dave brought up, 
which really cut to the quick to use another Bible phrase. It really got you know, caught me right in the heart. And he did, I don't, he didn't mean it as a dart, but it was like when he said, I'm like, he's on the money. And it was really about preparation. It's like, you know, sometimes it seems like you're just jumping in and, and it's good. It's always good. But like, you're just jumping in, you're throwing some comments out there. And he said, maybe the reason you feel the way you feel is because you feel like you haven't done it, the, the, the service that it deserves or the justice. And so I've been wrestling before this conversation, but, you know, getting that from Dave, like, how do I do better work? You know, I was kind of listing out, uh, you know, what does better work mean? What does it mean to elevate my work? How can I make my work better? You know, there's a few levels. I mean, one level of making your work better is technical. And so that might be things like, well, I'm trying to improve the audio quality. I'm trying to sound proof my room and make sure that I've got the right equipment, better mics and use the right software to, you know, do the right EQ uh, so that everything just, you know, the the quality of the podcast is spot on. And I'm not really talking about that one. Of course, I always want to make it better. I'm not happy with the audio. I hear an echo. I mean, maybe you guys are like, that sounds good to me. I I love like, I love really good audio and I'm not where I want to be, but that's just a, that's a process of making this room better over time. And I'm getting there little by little. And sometimes I find that doing the technical work is a distraction. When I'm not happy with the quality of the of the podcast, then I'll focus on the technical because it's like, you know, when things are kind of crazy in your life, you're like, well, let me at least, you know, clean up my desk. Like you've got big issues to deal with, but cleaning your desk just makes you feel better because I did something. Look at that. I, I made something better, even though there's this giant monster, an elephant in the room, but I made the desk clean. So technical improvement. Yeah, that's good. But I often, when I go there, it's more of a way to avoid uh, the, the deeper issues. So there's three of them. So the first one is technical. The second one is craft. You know, I can improve craft. How do I make my work better? I, well, I can work on my craft. And, and to me, that's partially what, you know, I think Dave is getting at. So craft is more of uh, how do I do as a presenter? Have I done my preparation? Do I have a good workflow process? Am I good at speaking? Am I getting better at avoiding saying um and ah and making mouth noises, you know, um, while you're talking? Am I, am I uh, doing a better job at structuring things so that it's more logical? You know, so like a good writer, you know, they're good at their craft, a good speaker, good presenter, good at their craft. And, and so I look at the content when I'm talking about my work, the podcast is part of that, but I'm thinking about articles that I write or should be writing and I'm not, I'm thinking about YouTube videos. I'm just looking at the content creation side of what I do. So, so you've got technical and you've got craft. And I think for me, sure, there's, there's definitely a room to get, uh, to improve my craft and it's satisfying. You know, the thing about craft is it's satisfying. It's as you put time in, as you do it more and more, and as you work on it, it's satisfying to, to gain competence. So that's there. I think the biggest one really though, that I'm discontented with, if I'm, if I'm kind of being honest is is the actual content itself, the, the, the quality of the content that I'm putting out there. And I think this really gets at what Dave was saying is, you know, he was referring to all things being the same, meaning you don't change the format. You don't change the focus of the show. If you put some time and prep, (laughs) you know, getting ready for this, going a little deeper, maybe pulling in, and this is me riffing off of what Dave said, pulling in other references, that type of thing. You, you you know, you, you, it's all there, but if you spent more time on it, you might be able deliver something more meaningful and you might feel 
a lot better that this uh, about what you put out, that this piece of content is realizing the vision you have for the work that you're doing. And so I've been going through a process uh, of, of working on this, thinking it through and saying, okay, how do I improve my content? So, you know, the danger of talking about something like this and putting it out there for your audience to listen to is it creates an expectation. It's almost like saying, uh, you know, to your wife, hey, I really want to trim down. You know, I'm looking in the mirror. I've put on some weight here. I want to get healthy. You know, wouldn't it be great if I got healthy? And your wife's thinking, it'd be great if you got healthy. I'd love to see you lose some of that blubber. <laughs> now, you might just be thinking about it. You're like, ah, I think, but you know, you might wake up the next morning and go, but you know, I'm not going to do that now because I'm going to have a big bowl of uh, Apple Jacks and then. Uh, you know, maybe a couple of chocolate chip cookies and some chocolate milk to wash it down. That's how I like to start a day. By the way, that's not how I start my day. But you created an expectation when you said, you know, I'd kind of like to get healthy. Wouldn't that be good? You know, the person involved in that discussion say, yeah, well, that they're not just dispassionately listening. They're probably invested on some level. So then they're thinking, well, he's going to start working on getting healthy. So the danger in doing this when I say, hey, this is what's going through my mind. You know, you're going to be watching like, okay, well, what's next? Like, he, I, and the problem with expectations, and this comes from my branding, uh, you know, I do a lot of work in branding for those that don't know. It's kind of how I pay the bills, marketing strategy and branding consulting. Uh, you know, branding is all about expectation and uh, perceived expert, you know, promises and expectations. And if you don't deliver on an expectation, that's the worst. I mean, so when you, as a brand, when you say to folks, you can expect our product to be the, you know, the highest quality and the lowest price, you know, that's in, and we hear that that goes in one ear out the other, but when people have that expectation and it's low quality and high price, it's like, they're angry. You, you, you've, you've, uh, transgressed because you did not deliver on those expectations. So I'm creating a bit of an expectation here, but that's okay. I think for me, this isn't a big announcement that I'm changing things. It's more just letting you in on the fact that I'm wrestling with the quality of this content. It doesn't, it doesn't realize my vision for what I'm trying to put out there. And my hope is that I will be iterating and changing. And this takes time. This isn't like, and so here's what I'm going to do. I have some ideas. I'm not going to get into all that with the podcast. I've mentioned before, I'd love to give some guests on here. I think there's an opportunity to tackle topics a little differently, but those things take preparation and those things take time. And the big thing that I'm really wrestling uh, uh, or that I'm up against is, you know, I, I'm carrying financial responsibility for our family, our lifestyle, um, our well-being, material well-being. And so that requires that I work and I, and my work is uh, highly responsible. I've got some important clients that are tr entrusting big things to me. And, um, and so I, I have to be diligent and do good work for them. And I have to focus on being a, f uh, a good faithful worker before the Lord and providing for my wife and the needs of our family and so on. So the, the thing that I'm up against is time. Like I'd love to sit and spend a few hours prepping. I could get sound bites and structure things and get guests in and all that stuff for each episode. But, um, you know, that comes, that comes at a cost of time. So I'm always trying to figure out how do I free up time? How do I find revenue streams that give me a little bit more freedom? Uh, but, uh, those, those answers have not all come yet, but what I have come to is an understanding that I can't chase after the revenue stream that supports the content creation. I have to focus on great content. And the more I put great content out there, the revenue opportunities will open up and allow me to do this uh, more and more. So 
This episode really all about just sharing some of my thoughts and thought process over the recent months and weeks. I, I hope you find this interesting. I'd love to know what you think. I always invite you to do this, but especially in this episode, if there's, um, if you have a thought, if you have feedback, do you mind episodes where I'm just kind of talking a little bit and sharing some thoughts? Uh, it doesn't mean if you say no, that's great. If you say yes, you do mind. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop. I just always love feedback. And and if every you know if everyone's like this is terrible, don't ever do this again. Okay, great. Uh, but what are your thoughts? I'd like to know what your thoughts are on this type of content. I'd like to even more so know your thoughts on. Uh, you know, my desire to take this podcast and the other content that I create to, to newer and higher and better levels. Guys, uh, I started this whole episode talking about thankfulness. I am thankful for you, even though I'm saying I'm not thrilled with the quality of my content and so on. Highly grateful for you, my audience. And um, you guys are great, very supportive, very encouraging. And uh, that means a lot to me. It makes it worth it. Honestly, if I had more money to focus on this, great. But I just like doing it and I appreciate you. So as I always say, I, you know, you started saying this kind of tongue in cheek, but, I, you know, there's something there. I think it's real. I love you. Love you guys. And uh, as much as a stranger behind a mic is able to love a bunch of strangers listening in headphones, but I love you guys and I want the best for you. And if I can help you in any way, forget the podcast, but if there's something you're struggling with, something you're trying to figure out, uh, something you're trying to think through, don't hesitate to reach out. If I can help, I will. And if I can't, I'll be honest about that, but I uh, would love to hear from you. So love you all, and I will catch you in the next episode.